undeserved on our part, uncreated by us. You simply give and give and give and give. Father, thank you for that. And thank you for your love. And thank you that today we're celebrating mothers and all that you're doing through them and in the world around us. We give this time to you and ask that you would be among us. Open our hearts, open our minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grab a seat real quick. Welcome this morning. If this is your first time, welcome to Ordinary Faith. My name's Pastor Steve. I am not... You've already met Pastor Michael. He's the guy. Every once in a while, he asked me to fill in for him, and so that's what we're doing today. To those of you who are mothers, to those of you who have ever had a mother, happy Mother's Day. If this is your first time and you're visiting, I hope you feel welcome. Come on back, you'll hear a really good preacher next week. We're going to be jumping into a series on Elijah, an Old Testament prophet who radically changed his world. Today's Mother's Day. And that's complicated. Oh, and I need to turn this on. Let's see. There we go. You're welcome. Thanks for waving. Mother's Day gets complicated real quick, especially in church. And when I grew up, it was huge celebration. And then I grew up and I realized sometimes it's just hard for all sorts of reasons. As a pastor, I'm aware that there's all sorts of these feelings that kind of erupt on Mother's Day. One hand, we certainly want to recognize mothers and praise them and thank them. On the, on the other hand, our purpose as a church is really to point people towards Jesus. So camping on one thing or another too long without pointing people to Jesus is outside of our box. And today we want to reach kind of beyond Mother's Day a little bit. Because Mother's Day can be complicated. Why? Because there's relationships involved. <laughs> and relationships are always complicated. They always complicate everything. Today we're going to talk about relationships instead. But before we get there, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge the wide spectrum of mothering. Many churches actually call this Mothering Sunday. They don't refer to it as Mother's Day because mothering is a broader term than mothers. We've got all sorts of people who mother, and whether they're your actual mom or not is really besides the point. So today we're going to take a moment to look at that. Some women look forward to this day with hope and anticipation and, and excitement, and for other people, it's complicated. Maybe they shrink back because they're uncertain how to tackle all of these things that get triggered in them. Pain, hurt, sadness, tragedy sometimes. Today, some of you are probably celebrating great times, and I imagine others of you honestly have maybe more questions than answers. The one thing we want you to know, most of all today, from us at Ordinary Faith... So that none of you are alone. None of you are walking alone. That's right. So this is for you. Yeah. To those who gave birth this year, we celebrate with you. To those who have ever lost a child, we mourn with you. Amen. To those who are in the trenches every day at where the food stains 
We appreciate you. To those who have experienced miscarriage, failed adoption, children running away, we lament with you. To those who have lost their own mothers, we grieve with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, with pokes and prods and fears and disappointment, we ache with you. Forgive us if we say stupid things. Amen. We, we really don't mean to make this harder than it is already. Amen. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have close relationships with their own moms, we rejoice with you. To those who have heartache, disappointment, and distance with your own children, we're here to sit together with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your ordeal. To those who have lived through driving tests, medical tests, the overall test of motherhood, we're better for having you in our midst. To those who step-parent, we walk with you. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering their own children, we wait on and trust God with you. To those who have envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve with you and we rejoice with you. <laughs> to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. But above all, on this Mother's Day, for mothers and non-mothers alike, remember this, you are all daughters. Daughters birthed by your earthly parents, of course, but in Christ also a beloved daughter of our Heavenly Father. So whatever you're facing today, remember this. You were loved, you were forgiven, you were valued, you were righteous. Not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you can do, but because of the precious blood of Jesus shed for us because of what Jesus has already done for us. His work made you his, and he has given you an eternal identity. You are his beloved daughter. So today... We wish you happy Mother's Day, and we wish you happy Daughter's Day, and we celebrate mothering in all its forms. This may come as a surprise to some of you, but I've never actually... I've never actually been a mom. Everything I know about motherhood comes from... Rumor, opinion, and hearsay, the three lowest forms of knowledge. It's all secondhand. Now, I have a mother. I'm married to a mother. I've got a daughter who's a mother. 
But it's all secondhand knowledge. It's all something that I've kind of heard about and seen in action and never really had to walk and do today. So I'm not going to speak about being a mom today because I ain't qualified. (laughs) So instead, I'm going to speak about relationships, which I am also not qualified to speak about. Because truth be told, full disclosure, when I start having to sit down and figure out what God's talking about and wanting me to say, it's not necessarily stuff that I've got wired. Oh, no. Relationships. So by all stretch of the imagination, it's even handed to say I'm pretty much a hypocrite when it comes to what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome to ordinary faith. Because I don't have this down. Not in the slightest, but this is what God's been pounding on me about. Taking me back to school about. Well, he's dead. Taking me to the woodshed about. So what we are going to talk today about is relationships. And a couple of things the Bible recommends for improving the relationships that we have. Have you ever noticed we don't generally get to choose our relationships? Ah, Our relationships kind of choose us. We don't get to pick our parents, our siblings, our kids, unless we do some adoption, and that's a good thing. We don't get to pick our schoolmates or our work colleagues. We certainly don't get to pick our boss, our supervisor, our commanding officer, or our correctional officer. (laughs) Just saying. The only people we kind of get to choose is our friends and our significant others. But even then, they have to choose us too. Otherwise, we don't really have a relationship. We're just a junior high boy with a note saying, would you check the box? (laughs) I'm not a mom, I'm a musician. So today I'm going to share a music lesson that I'm hoping helps you deal with some of your relationships. Simplest type of music is a melody. We all know that. One single note making a tune that doesn't answer to anybody, doesn't have to work with anybody, doesn't care about anybody else. Only God can judge me. No, 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 no. (laughs) One single note. Melodies are great. They're the basis of all music, but melodies are kind of like playing catch-all by yourself. You can do it. Kind of misses the point. Music really starts becoming musical when we take a couple melodies and put them together. Two or more melodies together, that's what we call harmony. And harmony is all about the relationships between the notes. One of the, stu- one of the questions I sometimes get from music students is this. Especially if they're starting to study music theory or harmony or do a little bit of improvisation. What notes work best with what chords? Or what they're really trying to figure out is what notes fit inside the harmonic structure that we're dealing with here and now? And the proper answer is all of them, any of them. But that's frustrating for a student because they're trying to understand the rules of music theory so that they can make music based on the rules, which you would think is a good thing, but it's kind of backwards. (laughs) Let's put the cart in front of the horse. To be fair, it's not their fault. 
Sometimes they've just been trained to ask the wrong questions. And this is probably, possibly, maybe going to frustrate some musicians in the room. But if you ask me, and you didn't, Rules of Harmony came about because someone was playing something cool and their buddy next to them said, what was that? That sounded cool. And they said, well, I did this and I did this and I did this. And all of a sudden they made a rule because it sounded cool. And we ended up calling that harmony or music theory. And then we studied it in school and we taught our kids to do it. And then they, they thought that that's how the cart was supposed to get pushed with the horse in the back. So in my humble but accurate opinion, <laughs> any note works with any other note because every note relates in some way to every other note. Okay, let's demonstrate. You got a note, and any other note can, in fact, work. Oh, uh, oh, oh. You're welcome. Some notes sound nicer when paired together. That's an open fifth. Some notes, notes sound yeah. That's called a tritone or an augmented fourth. That's the same tone that you hear the train playing because it's supposed to get your attention. In music, tension reveals to a buildup of intensity that is supposed to eventually dissolve and relax. It's supposed to get somewhere. It's supposed to get better. For the listener, those moments of unrest actually keep the music moving forward because you're anticipating what's to come. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so moments of unrest keep moving the music forward because we're hardwired. It's ingrained in us to expect that tension to resolve. In the same way, periods of unrest typically ought to, are supposed to unrest. Tension irritation, they're supposed to move the relationship forward, supposed to, supposed to move the relationship forward because we're hardwired to expect that tension to go somewhere and resolve. The secret to harmony isn't figuring out which notes work together. The secret to harmony is actually figuring out where you're going. Because as long as you're going somewhere, any note will do. As long as you're going somewhere, it'll eventually resolve. As long as you're going somewhere, you're going to get to resolution in your relationships. It's when relationships stop moving forward that they can get stuck in unresolved tension. For all you musicians out there, when you're improvising and you hit a wonky note, if you move up a step or down a step, either one, there's a 90% chance, just doing the math, that you're going to land inside the chord again. And if not, if it's, if you, if it, just move again the same direction. And doing the math, you'll always land back within the chord structure. For the rest of you, for all of us, what that means with our relationship is as long as everything doesn't come to a screeching halt because a little tension got involved... Because we've never had that happen, right? 
as long as we don't shove the brakes through the floorboard because things got a little dicey. Getting back to harmony is just generally a step or two away. So for example, not, not that you've ever had a relationship like that. Uh, come on. If you dig your heels in, you're never going to move. You're never going to resolve. You're never going to get anywhere, but once you begin to resolve, it gets better and better and better until you get back to more tension. Right? Because it happens like, oh, Yes, that was showing off my amazing piano skills. Sometimes, if we're going to be completely honest, sometimes we take that tension and we douse it with gasoline and start throwing lit matches at it. Why? Because we almost can't help ourselves. Why? Because sometimes we've been hurt too many times. Sometimes there's too much pain. Sometimes we've been criticized about too many things. Sometimes we've been made to feel worthless and insignificant so long. Sometimes we've been marginalized so many times that all there is left in the relationship is lashing out at each other. Sometimes you just want people to hurt the way you hurt. Hurt people hurt people. And it's more than just a cute saying. There's, there's a truth to it. There's a reality to it. Sometimes you just want people to feel criticized the way you feel criticized. Sometimes you just want to marginalize people the way you've been made to feel less than. Sometimes you just want to smear people the same way you've been smeared. Hurt people hurt other people, and it's a cycle that's tough to break out of, but it is a cycle that can be broken. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You have any idea where the, where the term broken heart comes from? Broken heart, right? We use it, we hear it in music, we hear it in, all, in, in Hallmark cards all the time. Sorry. <clears throat> we hear broken heart. It actually comes from King David. About 3,000 years ago, he wrote in Psalm 69, he wrote this. Their insults have broken my heart and I'm in despair. If only one person, one person would show me some pity. If only one person would turn and comfort me. Instead, they give me poison for food and they offer me sour wine for my thirst. If only one person would actually give a rip, it would change everything. You know, Jesus came to this earth for you. I mean, do you really know it? Do you have a real sense of it? Taste it, maybe. He came to this world and he came for you. God sent Jesus to rescue you 
long before any of us were even a remote possibility in anybody's mind. That rescue operation has already been finished, it's already been handled, it's already been taken care of, and it happened before we ever existed. God rescued us. And God's been trying to share that good news with us for our whole lives. In fact, in his very first sermon, Jesus opened the book of Isaiah and he read this. God has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. God has sent me to set free those who are oppressed. And then he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Right here in the middle of you, this scripture has been fulfilled. Not only did Jesus come to heal you and free you, he came to love you. Paul tells us this. God showed his great joy, his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still wrecks, while we were still sinners. So let's recap. God sent Jesus to do what? To heal the brokenhearted, to free those who were oppressed, and to show his great love for us. David said, if only one person, but God said, not just any person will do. He knew we didn't need just anyone. He knew we needed the only one who could possibly rescue us. Peter tells us in the book of Acts, Jesus is the only one who could save people. No one else in the world is able to save us. Jesus is the only one. On top of that, John's gospel tells us what Jesus said on the night he was betrayed. Don't just skip over that. Don't gloss over that. Jesus was dumped and abandoned and denied and betrayed by everyone who was closest to him, by his own disciples, stabbed in the back by all the people he was closest to. Now, we know about Judas, sold him out. We know about Peter, denied him three times. Do you realize that every one of the disciples bailed on Jesus? Mark, in his gospel, tells us that once the mob grabbed Jesus, then all the disciples abandoned him and ran away, abandoned him. And Jesus, just before that happened, Son of God, knowing this was coming, <laughs> he knew exactly what was coming. Here's what he said. I have loved you just as the Father has loved me. Well, yeah, Jesus, that's true. You must go on living in my love. Well, sure, Jesus, why wouldn't we? They're having dinner. They don't realize it's their last supper with him. They're just throwing down the chow. If you keep my commandments, you'll live in my love. Okay, that makes sense. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and live in his love. Yeah, that's right. You know what? We've noticed about you. you, you I, I've never seen you break a commandment, actually. You seem to keep them all, Jesus. I've told you this so that you can share my joy and that your happiness may be complete. Wait, what? I've told you this so that your joy can be made full and your happiness can be made complete. You mean we could share your joy and have complete happiness? This is awesome. Shine me up. So this is my commandment. Oh, I know this one. I know. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. 
You know Jesus never rolled his eyes at his disciples. Although if it were me, it would have been... This is my commandment that you love each other. Yeah, 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 we got this, Jesus. As we love ourselves. We know this one. This is my commandment that you love each other as I have loved you. Ooh, is this something new? Because we thought there is no greater love than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. Whoa, Jesus, easy. No one's dying here. You're kind of popular right now. Where exactly did that even come? By the way, we wanted to ask you, when are you going to overthrow Rome? Because we were, we're ready to go on that program. We've been waiting for this for a long time. And since we think you're the Messiah, let's... So I command you, love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Jesus, nobody hates you. Everybody loves you. We just had a big parade. Remember the triumphal entry, because you're going to take over and kick Rome out. <clears throat> Everybody loves you, Jesus. The disciples missed it. They completely missed it. Completely missed everything Jesus was telling them right there at that moment. And you can't blame them. They had no idea. But at that moment, Jesus was setting the framework for everything that he was about to institute, everything that was about to happen, and they just didn't get it. And we're looking back, so we kind of, why? But in the moment, about a couple hours later, they were all turning their backs on Jesus and running away like scared middle school girls. We miss it too, the one thing that changes everything. And we miss it, we miss it, we miss it all the time. We miss it. Why? we hurt. And when you stub your toe, when you step on a Lego, you don't think about anything else about, ow! Sorry. It takes priority over everything. When you hurt, you don't pay attention to nothing else. You can blame God. He made you that way. No, 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 no. So we end up perpetuating the same old cycle of, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? Are you catching this? Jesus is basically saying this to you and me. Yep, people can be hateful. I know exactly how that feels. Remember, the entire world hated me long before you ever got here. This world that I created. These people that I made. They hated me then, they hate me now. Still... I'm telling you to treat this one thing as more important than all the other commandments put together. This one thing, love those people anyways. The Apostle Paul wrote it like this in his letter to the church at Colossia, to the Colossian church. More than anything else, walk in love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. More than anything else, walk Walk in love. In other words, take a step. Keep moving. You can't get to resolution if you don't keep moving. Those notes are always going to sound the same if you don't go somewhere. You can't get to resolution if you dig your heels in and get stuck. When things get tense, you got to move. But once you start moving and once you start walking in love, 
you're usually just a step or two away from harmony starting to happen. And once the harmony starts to happen, it kind of grows and grows and grows. Yes, people can be hateful. Love them anyway. That's what Jesus said. People can be hateful. Love them anyway. Not the people you don't care about. Come on. That neighbor three doors down and around the corner, you don't care what he thinks about you. The people in your own house, the people you drive places with, the people you share meals with, what they think and what they do and what they say, yeah, that's a whole different story. Love them anyway. Because once you start moving and walking in love, you're usually just a step away from breaking that cycle once and for all. Romans 15.5 says this, May God, who gives us patience and encouragement, help you live in a complete, incomplete harmony with one another, as is fitting for the followers of Jesus Christ. So God gives us patience and encouragement. We're supposed to love people like Jesus loved us. So you're saying loving people looks a little bit, a lot like patience and encouragement. Love looks like patience and encouragement. I've heard that somewhere before. Love looks like patience and kindness. 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter we call the love chapter, starts defining love this way. This is where it starts. Love is patient and kind. You want better relationships? Love is patient and kind. You want dealing with critical, hateful people that marginalize you, they smear your name, that's who you're dealing with? Love is patient and kind. You want to break the cycle upon hurt, upon hurt, upon hurt, upon hurt? Love is patient and kind. You want to feel loved yourself? Loved yourself. You got to go first. If you want to feel loved yourself, you got to go first. Love is patient, kind. Loving those people doesn't just break the cycle of hurt. It actually does more than that. Loving people actually creates an entirely new cycle. Why? Because loved people love people. Why can we love other people? Because God loved us first. Loved people Love people. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do. To love other people and break the cycle of hurt that we're dealing with. All of us, all the time. Instead of being a hurt person that hurts others, be a hurt person that forgives others. Instead of being a criticized person that criticized others, be a criticized person that accepts others. Instead of being a marginalized person that continues to make other people feel small, be a marginalized person that encourages other people. Back to Romans 15.5. May God, who gives us patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then, all of you together can thank the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ all together because you're in fact patient and encouraging to each other and showing love to each other. So, therefore, accept each other. In the same way Christ accepted you so that God receives glory. 
Hurt people hurt other people. It's true, but we can break that cycle. Amen. How with love, which look, looks a lot like patience and kindness and encouragement. And when we love people who are hateful towards us, not only are we accepting people in the same way that Christ accepted all of us, who all of us abandoned him and ran, the disciples, each of us, we've done it. We're also starting a new cycle, a cycle of love, because loved people love other people. We're going to pray. Then we're going to sing a song together, a cappella. Then we're going to have communion and celebrate what Jesus did for this. So as we pray, I invite you, would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father God, teach us to love and forgive and accept and encourage other people in the same way that Jesus did for us. Help us to take steps towards resolution each day in our difficult relationships and our close relationships and help us to live. Help us, as you said you would, help us to live in complete harmony with each other. Because it's fitting for followers of Christ that you would receive glory and honor. Amen. This is an old hymn and you may not know it, but you'll catch it the second time around. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And we know we are Christians by our love, by our love. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Let's sing it again. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Amen. What I'd like to ask you to do this morning, uh, as we are standing together, I'd like you to grab your communion cup that you have, and uh, it, it does open. If you haven't used one of these before, it opens in two phases. The cellophane comes off the top for the bread, and then the tab comes off for the juice. 
And uh, I tell you what, this has been a wonderful message this morning, so perfect for this body of Christ at Ordinary Faith because church is relationships, family is relationships. And so I just want to hit, uh, reinforce that idea of loved people love people. The Bible says in John 3.16, you may know it, for this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. This is our place that we begin as Christians. This is our beginning of faith. And so as we gather for communion together, it's communion. That means we do it together. It's not an individual sport. It's a community. So I I just want to make sure you know that you're not in this room alone right now. I almost want to make you clump up but I know that might make some of you feel weird, especially people who feel weird already. So, uh, but I do want you to know you're loved and you're not alone. So, the Word of God tells us this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Himself. On the night when He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then He broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, as often as you drink it. There'll be a trash can available at the end. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. Father God, we thank You. We thank You for the relationships that have brought us here today. We thank you for the miracle that you will build this body and that you will build your church and you will build this assembly and other assemblies like it into stronger and deeper relationships filled with patience and kindness and encouragement that is honest and true and not just avoidance of issues. I thank you that the blood of Jesus and the gospel of Christ not only empowers these things, but miraculously produces these things. And I pray, Lord, that through this cup of the blood, this bread of your body, that we would today announce that Jesus is coming and that we are his body united him in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team.